Podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to an interview with Scott Shara and Vera Sharaf. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is Wednesday, October 26th in the year 2022. Patriots, today we have a very interesting and moving interview. Scott Shara and Vera Sharaf, and it's an interesting juxtaposition of two lives that have come together in a very interesting and we would probably say tragic time in which we live. Vera is a Holocaust survivor, and Scott is the father of a daughter that was recently, in his own words, murdered in the hospital due to the COVID protocols. I think you'll find this very compelling and a very deeply moving interview as they weave their stories together to understand just how the past and the present now are walking in step. And before we begin, this is a very critical time that we are living in. And with that, there's a lot of pressure on our resources and the attempt by this ruling elite to squeeze us all and bring us to our knees. One of the most critical parts of that is food. Control the food, control the people. That's why we have Patriot Supply. You need to really prepare right now for these difficult times, making sure you have enough resources to endure coming shortages or anything that this ruling elite may try to throw at us. If you go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com, you're going to find a fantastic savings on the three-month food supply kit offered by Patriot Supply. Shipping is included. They come in unmarked boxes and they deliver quickly. These are full meals for three months for a person, including breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and drinks. Take advantage of this great savings. Get one each for each of your family members. And these are food systems that can be stored for up to 20 years. So again, preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. Head on over there and take advantage of the great savings that Patriot Supply offers at 20% off plus free shipping. So, Patriots, without further ado, let me introduce to you Scott Shara and Vera Sharaf. Well, Patriots, today I have a very moving story and disturbing equally. A story about this COVID tyranny, medical tyranny that we're living with. And with this is a, a very personal story that's going to be told by the father of somebody who's literally been murdered in the hospital through these COVID policies. And with him is somebody who endured the Holocaust, who's a huge human rights advocate and who has seen the parallels of what we're going through from the time of the Holocaust. So I just want to welcome both you, Scott, and Vera to the show. How are you? All right. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you, too. So, Scott, why don't you start with a little bit with the background and your story and um, kind of get some context to what we're dealing with here. My daughter, Grace, was 19. She had Down syndrome, 
and she was murdered in the hospital last October, October of 21. And it's quite a claim for me to say murder, but I'll just walk through the high point so you understand why. So Grace um, Grace would have been uh, labeled as a useless eater because she was disabled and the disabled and the elderly were the number, the elderly being number one and the disabled number two causes of death with people entering the hospital with COVID, which is real strange when you put it together because those are not comorbidities. And what they did with Grace, I mean, Grace had no reason to die of COVID any more than I did or you did. But what they did, they they gave her a sedation drug over a period of four and a half days, which causes acute respiratory failure. On her death certificate, the first cause of death listed is acute respiratory failure. And it's specifically a cause of death because they use that drug for more than 24 hours outside of the rules they're supposed to follow with the package insert. So the first cause of death was directly caused by the hospital. They received a $7,500 bonus for doing that. The second cause of death they have listed on her death certificate is COVID-19 pneumonia. Well, there nothing could be further from the truth. The second cause of death was in addition to this sedation drug called Presidex, they combined it with lorazepam and morphine in a 29-minute window that none of us could have survived. So that's the real second cause of death is that drug cocktail. For that to happen, the doctor had to order the meds. The pharmacist had to sign off on the order. The alarm for the hospital had to be overridden because the meds are contraindicated. And the 14-year ICU nurse in charge of Grace's care had to deliver the meds. So that's the real second cause of death. And the third cause of death is they put an illegal do not resuscitate order on Grace. So when she, <clears throat> she had the respiratory failure, they would not revive her in spite of our pleas to, to save our daughter. So this is a fairly recent loss, correct? It was uh, one year ago last Thursday. I'm prayers for you. This is this is hard. How did you meet Vera? It, as I concluded that Grace was murdered, which was in in April, I had about 500 hours of researching in her case and realized what they did. Um, that led to thinking: Is this genocide? I was not awake as to what's even going on. Uh, before Grace's death. And as I became awake, I started researching the Holocaust, thinking, I think there's parallels here. And in that process, I uh, saw a podcast that Vera was on with Alex Newman and thought, boy, she can, she's going to do a lot better job explaining these connections than a dad would. And so I contacted her and we became fast friends over a sh very short period of time and now we've been doing a number of interviews together, including this one. So Scott, it's, their last name is Shara, correct? Your last name? Yeah, yes. And then, and Barry, your last name is Sharaf, correct? Right. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You have quite a history. What's relevant now in this period especially is that I am a Holocaust survivor which means that they can't muzzle me as they do anyone who touches the subject as far as drawing parallels between the uh, lead up to the Holocaust. You know, there were nine years before where people, uh, you know, society was ripped apart essentially. Part, uh, the, the primary uh, targets were the Jews of Europe really. And 
what they did was very, very methodical and very slow, where they essentially stripped Jews of their citizenship, of their assets, of pretty much their ability to live in society. And then eventually they deported them to various camps, extermination camps, slave labor camps, and concentration camps. I was in a concentration camp. I was a little girl. I, uh, we lived in Romania. We were deported from there when I was three and a half in 1941. And we were deported to a camp in Ukraine. Interesting. Ukraine is currently, again, a center of, yeah, of Nazi. Um, yes. Well, they sometimes call them neo-Nazis, but they never really changed. It didn't, you know, in, in Ukraine, it's really the same uh, attitude, the same mindset, and the same kind of viciousness, I guess. Uh, one, so one of the parallels, you know, that, Look, since I was very little, I also, as an adult, did a lot of research. I wanted to understand why what happened to me and my family, why it happened and how it happened and so forth. So one of the things that's very uh, disturbing, very similar, is the fact that, you know, German people didn't really know what was going on at first. They didn't know that there would be a Holocaust. Most people didn't believe Hitler's rhetoric. They thought that he was just, you know, this was just rhetoric. Well, of course, everyone was wrong about that. But the point is that as, as the Jews were being demonized as, by the way, uh, spreaders of disease, that was the uh, that was the accusation that we were spreaders of disease and we would pollute the genetic pool of the Aryan race. Uh, what they didn't do, what what they was to speak out to to try to preserve their pretty much at that time they had a kind of democracy really, but it all fell apart when the Nazis took over in 1933. Hitler declared an emergency and simply swept aside all their civil rights and legal rights. Well, I saw that happening in 2020, where not just one country, not just Germany, but all across Western Europe, the United States, Canada, Australia, same thing. A, an emergency was declared and all our civil rights, our freedoms were simply totally just thrown off the table as if they didn't exist. That's a real warning sign. When someone comes into power and declares a state of emergency, it is to essentially uh, issue illegal orders that are contrary to due process. That should not just be done with the silence of people simply falling in line. Uh, and that's unfortunately what has happened. What we've been going through close to three years began with flattening the curve for two weeks. That was the first lie. People really need to 
wake to the reality of what is happening to us now. People somehow have accepted the, the dictates, even the most ridiculous dictates, dictates that were known to be absurd. Masks cannot protect you against a virus. Masks can protect you from, uh, you know, from from sand, from 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 uh, all sorts of things that are much much bigger than a virus. So that's nonsense, and that was already known in 1918, for heaven's sakes. But masks have a very very sinister uh, value. They truly are a sign of slavery. Slaves used to have to wear masks. People don't know that. When you put a mask on like that, just because you're being told to do it, you are obeying something that's demeaning. I have considered the masks to be the symbolic equivalent of the yellow star that I have to wear. Wow, and you had to wear that star, is that right, Vera? Absolutely. As we were deported, yeah. Wow. We'll come back to that. Scott, I want to go back a little bit to this issue with Grace in the hospital. I was kind of just reading through your description of this, and it sounds to me like there was a turning point when the hospital realized that you weren't going to allow them to continue with certain treatments, and that's when things really turned to the evil side of what they were going to do. Yeah, that's precisely right. Um getting getting into the evil it started so if you walk through the days grace's first full day in the hospital was october 7th 2021 i was taken out by an armed guard on october 10th and that really started the evil process so i was challenging what they were doing of course i had no idea that the, there was an agenda in place at that time i just thought i was challenging poor care but <clears throat> we had to hire an attorney to get a replacement advocate in the room, which was my daughter, Jessica, because my wife had COVID. Well, during that 44 hours where we didn't have advocacy, they increased the dose of the sedation med that I referenced earlier seven different times. So instead of taking care of my best buddy, they sedated her. Well, when you get to her last day, so that was October 13th, when my daughter, Jessica, was in the room with her, we had no idea she was sedated. She was just kind of sleepy. You know, but Grace was still herself. She's fun loving. She has a great sense of humor. So Jess just thought she was sleepy. Well, on the morning of her last day, the doctor called Cindy and I <clears throat> at eight o'clock in the morning. And the purpose of the call was to ask us for the fifth time if we would give the hospital pre-authorization to put Grace on a ventilator just in case, just in case, meaning when they decided. And we said no. Then the doctor switched gears and said, well, Grace had such a good day yesterday, we should work on nutrition. And he convinced us to put a feeding tube in. Well, I, my personal belief is that when we said no for the fifth time, so everything I've told you is spot on true, but this is my hypothesis. And that is when we told 
the doctor for the fifth time that we would not approve a ventilator, which is about a $300,000 payday to the hospital. And the, all the ICU rooms were full in the hospital that day. These statistics are all available online. And the emergency room was full. It came became obvious after you looked at the sequence of events that Grace was worth more dead than alive. So they proceeded after, so we approved a feeding tube. Remember, he just got done saying, Grace had such a good day yesterday, we should work on nutrition. In fact, he said we should get her into a chair and get her sitting up. And, and ultimately what happened was all those meds I suggested and the illegal DNR, they started maxing, they strapped Grace down to the bed while my daughter, Jessica was taking a shower. They strapped her down to the bed and made her go to the bathroom in the bed. They increased the dose of Presidex to 14 times the dose from just four days earlier, which was way beyond the 24 hours they're supposed to use it. And then after they increased that dose to 14 times, eight minutes later, they put an illegal DNR order on her. This is all stuff, of course, we found out after the fact and going through the records. But you can't make up that chain of events. No, you can't. This is this is stunning. Uh, Scott, where was this? Where did this happen? This is this happened in a hospital in Appleton, Wisconsin. Okay. Vera, you hear these stories, and, and I want to go back to your yellow star piece. Um, and if we can, a little bit explore that. Because we've seen people willfully comply to the mask, even go to the point of social acceptance of the mask. Is that a similar process that happened when you were, as a young girl, having to wear a yellow star? Well, it, it, it sure is. I mean, you know, what is so disturbing about this we saw early on in, in 2020 that when they issued these various directives of wearing a star and social distancing and all that, uh, there was some very heavy-handed police handling of people. That is, those sites were especially frightening to any survivor because they absolutely brought back the horror of, you know, police altercations. Uh, the fact that Americans who have had such a, a different image, both of themselves and in the world, as, you know, as, as very independent and, and, and um, you know, knowing what to do and not listening to just being, not taking orders. Everybody knew that under Nazi Germany, people took orders because that, that in fact was the, the defense that they tried to use at Nuremberg when some of them were tried that, oh, well, we, we didn't do anything. We were following orders. And that has always, you know, and that was absolutely rejected uh, by the judges. A following orders is no defense for atrocities and for crimes. But what we're seeing now is the, this, you know, herd-like mentality of going along to get along. The trouble is that people don't understand that those who are in charge, those who are issuing these uh, really demonic orders, uh, which have done so much harm to the economy, to children, for example, this is the, the crimes against children are crimes against humanity. Children who have been exposed only to people with masks 
some of them didn't even learn how to pronounce words because they couldn't see how people, you know, how lips move. I mean, there's so many, so many um, crimes that are committed here and that people are simply going along. Now we are right now, by the way, we are now faced with tomorrow, the CDC meeting and wanting to put these so-called vaccines, because they're not vaccines, these totally experimental injections to put them on the children's vaccine schedule. If they get that done, no one will ever be able to be held accountable. They have total immunity. I agree. Just by being on the children's schedule. Most people don't realize how unprotected really children are by this schedule. The schedule is there to protect pharmaceutical companies, the manufacturers. Vera, let's go back a little bit to you as a child. Yeah. And the the impression that that left on you as an adult or to, as you grew in your adulthood, having to wear a, a yellow star. And the reason I want to dig into this a little bit is it's the, what you've already talked about is the, this sort of repression and enslavement mentality that goes on to children when we not only ask them, force them to wear masks, but adults are complying with this as well. Mm-hmm. Because you're intermixing at that point in a society, I would assume, from what knowledge I have of it, that some are wearing a star and some are not. Can you talk a little bit about that, as how that affected you? Well, remember, when this happened, when we were deported in 41, uh, and I was just three and a half, uh, I didn't see the normal <laughs> you know, normal uh, society for very long. We were deported to a concentration camp where, you know, we were uh, pretty much all the despised, the vilified, you know. Uh, So I I couldn't compare uh, as others who would have been, let's say, even school children who would have been not permitted to be in school anymore if, they, you know, Jews were expelled from every every facet of society. And this is not just in Germany. This is also in the occupied countries. Uh, but the, the stigma that you're referring to, really, yeah, is something that, you know, you internalize it. Uh, there are... I can tell you that during this COVID period, during this time, a lot of very painful memories just cropped up. Things that I hadn't thought of in decades, many decades, uh, they come up. Yeah, uh, one of the one of the things that I experienced, you know, uh, as a survivor was, yeah, a certain stigma. I, I, you know, I never felt quite comfortable because I didn't know if if the world won't break apart again. That's a big one. That's a real control piece for the elite. Scott, I want to jump back on, I want to kind of continue with the story here. When, when did you start to realize that something was a foul and needed to be researched? And then how did you proceed to do your research 
Yeah, that's a great question. So what happened was I, I saw God's hand instantly because I went into a different hospital three days after Grace died, and I just about died. And what happened, I think he put me there for a couple reasons, but one specific reason was so that I could tell this story objectively. So that hospital saved my life. They did not follow any of the protocols that the hospital that killed Grace followed. And so that gave me a clue as to what's going on. Uh, the evening that Grace died, I had COVID, so I drove my wife to the hospital. She went into the hospital and worked with my daughter, Jessica, to clean Grace up. Our pastor met us there. And on the way out, one of the nurses had Grace's belongings. The pastor was pushing Cindy out in a wheelchair, and she leaned down and said to Cindy that me and several nurses don't think Grace should have died today. So now I've got my hospital stay. I've got that statement. And then we received the records um, on November 3rd and 4th. Grace died on October 13th. We have a doctor friend that that helped me, and we spent uh, about five solid days piecing this thing together. So then after we pieced it together, at this point, we had maybe 100, 150 hours of work into it. I thought, well, my biblical responsibility is to um, meet the people who did this, because I thought at that time I was so stupid. But I mean, this is just where I was. I thought at that point that Grace's death was an anomaly and they would want to know so they could stop it because we really had we could see it. Well, so I, I sent that request along with the research on November 8th. It took them until December 2nd, three weeks later, to respond and say, we're not going to meet with you. So at that time, I thought, what is going on? So I filed complaints with both the state departments that regulate the hospital and the physicians. And both of them did sham investigations, which... And this is, you asked what woke me up, and this is what woke me up. I received one of the investigations on January 24th and the other one on February 3rd. And you got to realize at this point, I had uh, two to 300 hours in. I mean, there was an overwhelming amount of evidence, including an illegal DNR. And both investigations came back and said they did no wrong. That's when I started to wake up. I thought, they are all in on this. And then, you know, it, it was lots and lots of research after that to connect the dots. So I want to go to a comment you have in your story, which is really powerful. And it's what you just hit on. And you said that the family recognized their ethical and biblical responsibility to give both of them the opportunity to discuss their perspectives. The hospital's response was a refusal to meet. I, I think this is something that we miss a great deal in society right now, where we throw stones and we use social media viciously to tear down somebody else. And, and this is such a rare statement. Talk a little bit about your, your grounding in faith because this is powerful and it truly is biblical. And in fact, you don't know this, but I did a couple of shows on this just very recently. Well, my, uh, my grounding, um, so roughly 25 years or so ago, is, is when I knew that God knew me. And at that point, you know, things changed. In fact, Grace was born as a result of that. My, we were, we were, um, new Christians at that point. And my wife and I were 39 years old. And we said, you know, I think we should let God lead in the baby department. And, 
you know, I think Grace was conceived five minutes later after we made that decision. <laughs> and uh, we, we named her Grace after God's grace. But ultimately what got, you know, so now you fast forward to now, well, roughly, I don't know how long ago exactly, but I asked God to do whatever he needed to do to break me. And, you know, you want, he's going to do it regardless. But I mean, in order to be used, you have to be broken. And that is ultimately, I, I touched on why he put me in the hospital three days after Grace died. Or, you know, he didn't physically do it, obviously. But, you know, it was so that I could tell this story, obviously. But the more important reason is uh, he needed to have me broken so that I could be part of part of the plan. Well said. Vera, in your process, I'm assuming you had a ex similar experience because it, just the way you talk, it sounds like God has put you in places to have that sort of experience to pull forward for this time now. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, it, everybody is a little different. I really feel more, you know, at, that as a survivor, I, I have a moral duty it's a sacred duty to the victims uh, to speak out and to warn people of what I see as a danger of history repeating itself. Um, it's, I wouldn't say that I have a personal God, but I believe in, you know, something, someone really uh, having created this world. I mean, the, uh, the, in other words, the Big Bang Theory just never sat right with me. It just didn't make sense. And, you know, the those who are trying to destroy civilization, and, and this time around, they've got the entire global population, you know, in, in their uh, reach. That's what they want to do now. Uh, at that time, it was the Jews, but Hitler had greater plans as well, you know, but it was pretty much Europe. Now they're really looking to both reduce the human population and to alter human beings into transhumans to combine technology with our bodies. This is very hard for people to grasp, but they have it all spelled out. They have it all written out. Just have to go on the World Economic Forum and read, read Klaus Schwab's uh, COVID-19 and the Great Reset, they, which they also called uh, New World Order. And when you read and listen to what they say, what they are telling us the world's going to be like, it will be totally, they'll eliminate most people and those that they will leave will be slaves. And the concentration camps will be digital. They won't have to really cordon people off. They will be able to control people even remotely where people will not even know who is controlling them. Make no mistake. They are very, very serious about inserting chip tattoos into our bodies. These are digital surveillance techniques 
so that they can control us. They want to control every aspect of our lives, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There will be no escape, no attic to hide in, no basement to hide in. There will be no escape if we keep obeying their orders and marching as they direct us. The only way out of this is to resist and say no. Vera, your experience with under that very dark era of the Nazis, you've already alluded to it, the fact that much of the wording, the propaganda, the sort of influence methods were very similar, which mean, which would draw me to the conclusion that their objectives were similar to what you just said, ultimately to totally control. Exactly. What we need to understand is that the elite uh, continue to be adherents of that very, very um, elitist ideology, eugenics. Eugenicists truly believe that there are, that there's a value to different human beings and they are the highest of highest value. Therefore they are entitled to rule over the rest of us. Uh, the Nazis refer to it as Übermenschen, the supermen, which they believed to be. They really, truly believed that they were supermen. Well, so do the elitists now believe that they are superior. And the others were called Untermenschen, the underclass, worthless eaters. Uh, some of the parallels that really shook me up when I saw what happened to the nursing home residents in March and April of 2020, orders were given by the governments of Western Europe, Canada, Australia, and at least five states in the United States not to treat the elderly. Those who were infected with COVID were not to be treated. They were to be sent to nursing homes, which were of course not equipped to treat infectious diseases. So naturally the virus spread like crazy. And in the state that I live, then governor Andrew Cuomo, before he issued the order to hospitals not to treat the elderly, he predicted, he knew exactly what he was doing. He predicted that this virus in nursing homes will be like fire through dry grass. He gave immunity from liability to the hospitals and to nursing homes before issuing the order. He is responsible, personally responsible for the murder of more than 15,000 human beings. That immediately recalled for me the T4 program in Nazi Germany. Now, what is interesting about it is that the first medical murders were German. They were German infants and toddlers under the age of three. 
their crime was that they were disabled in some way. They weren't perfect Aryans. So they were the first victims, about a thousand of them. And then came children of all ages who were disabled, followed by the mentally ill, the asylums were all emptied, and then the nursing home residents. All of them were regarded as worthless eaters and economic burden. And the excuse also, the justification for emptying the mental asylums and the nursing homes was to free up beds for wounded German soldiers who were more valuable. So you see the parallel here. Very much so. Once you put a value on people, you can do anything to them. Scott, that leads me back to you, and it's actually a perfect segue, because you write at the bottom of, or the part, kind of the end of your story that I have here, the family has not taken the FEMA funeral reimbursement money available. First of all, I don't think most people realize that FEMA was even involved with the payout. Secondly, you, there is a value that they put on your daughter for their, her death, which was, Eula says, $9,000. Talk a little bit about that whole piece. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you go through your daughter's funeral and, you know, then you're sitting down with the funeral director as part of that. He introduces this idea. And at that point, I really had no concept. So I, I looked up what was going on. I saw, my gosh, they're, they caused COVID and now they're, they're looking like the savior because they're going to help you with the funeral cost. And, you know, we had enough information at that point to know this was this was not right. And so we never took the money. We never sent the application in. It was all you did was send an application in with a copy of the invoice from the funeral home and they shoot you back a check for 9000 But by doing that, you know, our conscience said we would be agreeing that them listing COVID-19 pneumonia as a cause of death was true and it isn't true. And so my wife instantly said, we don't want their dirty money, you know, and to take the money just a, a little bit broader, you know, people don't realize what is, was going on. The financial benefit the government has by taking out the elderly and the disabled, the elderly and disabled are the number one and number two causes of death with going into the hospital with COVID. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Those are not comorbidities. But on a United States level basis, the elderly are on Medicare and the disabled are on Medicaid. The amount of money annually for those two programs is 2.2 trillion. That's 39% of our total annual federal budget. So there's a financial incentive to take out those two population groups because they're a burden to society financially. And they, the government in the first 22 months of COVID, and you can't make this up, there were 4 million people that went into the hospital with COVID. The average bonus, remember they're paying bonuses to kill people, the average bonus Per patient admitted to the hospital is a hundred grand. So that means the hospitals 
were paid 400 billion in the first 22 months of COVID. The hospital system that Grace died in was paid $10 billion in the first year of COVID. So the government is paying huge numbers to reduce those segments of the population. Of course, it fits into a much bigger picture. It's about population reduction, but they use this as the excuse that this is how we can assign these values to these population groups because it's obvious they're a financial burden. That's amazing. And I, I don't disagree with you at all. It's just getting this from a, a, a more personal optic than we've had. And it's stunning. And so I'm going to kind of ask, you You had a funeral for your daughter or, or how did that work? Yeah, we, we did. I mean, it, it took a bit because I was in, <laughs> it was uh, one of my lowest moments on this earth. So my daughter, Jessica, uh, my wife was pretty distraught. And so Jessica started planning Grace's funeral and she called me the morning of, after, after I was, you know, I was in the hospital, I just about died the first night and she called me and said, dad, what do I do? And I said, just keep working with the funeral director and plan the funeral. And she said, well, when should I do it? When should we have the funeral? I said, I don't know. I don't know how long I'm going to be in here. I don't know that I'm going to make it. I, I'm in bad shape. And so I just told her that, um, you know, if if I don't make it, you're going to be doing two funerals instead of one. And she just plotted through and did a fantastic job. And ultimately, I was out of the hospital four days later. And then we had Grace's funeral a little bit over a week after that. So there were no restrictions at that point on that, because that was another big issue they made was restricting people from even having funerals. Yeah, thankfully, there wasn't. Uh, Grace had was so popular in our area. I was just known as Grace's dad. And uh, so we, the small church that we went to at the time couldn't handle the number of people. There were about 400 people at Grace's funeral. So we had to go to a different church, but none of them were in our area were masked up or anything like that. There were a number of people that, that came to the funeral in masks and several people wouldn't come because, you know, the the masks were not uh, required, but still we had a, we had a regular funeral and it was really a special day. So what you've listed out here is that FEMA money was incentivizing funeral homes to list the deaths as COVID deaths, which would be to artificially increase the, the statistical numbers of the death count. Right. But not the funeral homes. It's, it's the, how it gets listed is the doctor makes the choice as to what the cause of death is. And that's what gets listed on the death certificate. And so by listing acute respiratory failure as a cause of death, the hospital received a $7,500 bonus. And then listing COVID-19 pneumonia as a second cause of death, they received a $13,000 bonus. That's on top of all the other bonuses they received uh, so, you know, I mentioned Presidex as an example. Well, that drug, as soon as a patient is on that drug, the room gets classified as ICU. Well, Grace never changed rooms, nor did the care change, but the amount of money the hospital received changed because the room is now classified as ICU. There's just one of, you know, there, it, it's um, the layers of money here are so unbelievable that people, they they can't grasp that it's even happening. It's, it's too... Um, it's too nefarious. Vera, was there a, a, an economic incentive like this in the Holocaust that you know about, or was it purely just vengeful and evil? The financial incentive 
was for the large corporations, American corporations, Swiss corporations, German corporations, but it was not the hospitals. The this this is uh, you know this part of the history is kind of you know kind of buried for the most part. I mean that's not taught in history classes, but the fact of the matter is that Hitler could never have carried out both a war, somewhat world war, you know, all of Europe, while also carrying out the slaughter, the Holocaust. He had the financial and industrial help of major American corporations. That's the part of the history that needs to be told. I'm going to talk about something a little more personal on your experience in that time, Vera, and and because of what Scott was just describing. Mm -hmm. With the death of Grace, they were able to ultimately have a funeral and at least provide some measure of closure. Mm -hmm. And the impression I have is that was really not something that was prevalent or even allowed during the Holocaust. Is that correct? Exactly. I remember when my father died, he died of typhus, which was rampant in all the camps and ghettos, uh, because, of course, there was absolutely no hygiene facilities, nothing. And starvation was really, people died of starvation and of typhus. Those were the two uh, so-called natural deaths. Um, so, no, there were no funerals and all that. Um, I will tell you, though, that in April 2020, my husband died, not of COVID. He was sick for quite a long time. But uh, the cordoning off, you know, uh, where I couldn't see him for three weeks, that kind of, you know, pushed him over. And yeah, we couldn't have a, a real funeral. This this was very much when they didn't allow uh, people to be together. So um, so I have it from both ends. You sure do. I'm and I'm sorry for you. It's that's that's but I think there's probably something in that that gives you the strength to tell a very important story right now. Scott, can you tell us a little bit about Grace? Just You've referred to her, the community knew her, saw you as her dad. That tells me a lot. I've seen a few pictures that you sent over. She seemed just to be a very bright soul. Oh, my gosh. Yes, she was. (laughs) She was on the right-hand side of the bell curve relative to intelligence, um, way on the right-hand side relative to love. I mean, she loved unconditionally. It's something that I'm not sure that I do even in my sleep that she, she had a gift. She was, uh, my wife uh, was fantastic at, at teaching her. We homeschooled Grace and she taught her how to read and write. I mean, that's in and of itself, that's quite a step. But on top of that, Grace played violin. She rode a horse. Uh, I taught her how to drive a car. Um, and she was funny. You know, she, she had a way about her, um, 
she could she could light up a room with her humor and you know she was naturally funny at the beginning you know she i i my sense of humor is i like literal things so when you see something literal um it just it just uh hits my funny bone well at the beginning i'll just tell you a quick story because it's funny so you know i introduced this literal humor to grace one time when her and i uh, were given the penance of going to Walmart. I don't like that store. And my wife said, you got to go to Walmart to get whatever it was. And so Grace is riding with me. And I said, hey, Grace, just so you know, everybody that shops at Walmart is a zombie. And so we're in Walmart and she pokes a guy in the stomach. And so, and then she said, dad, they're, they're not zombies. So that was the start of me introducing her to the literal humor. But, you know, at that point she didn't understand it, but, oh, she got, she she got so good at it. I thought she'd be the stand, first stand-up Down syndrome comic, and I would just be her sidekick. Oh, that's amazing. That's fantastic. <laughs> Vera, what do you have to say to people in terms of wisdom that you've gained in your life from all of this? You've you just kind of hit a real key point, which is you you had it at both ends, literally as a child, and now you've got to see it as an adult and now and now you have this opportunity of being able to share your experiences with Scott on his experiences of suffering through which is effectively just another repeat of a of a type of holocaust what is what are your words to people i think that people need to use their god-given gift and right the right to make choices about their own lives and their children's lives those who defer to authority are not meeting their adult responsibility. They're, you know, copping off. They're being willfully blind. And that's really unforgivable. They've been given the right to make free choices for themselves and for their children. They need to trust their own intelligence, their own experience, their own intuition, their, their own gut feeling. Don't defer to uh, those who claim to be experts because when they're wrong, they're not held accountable and you are left holding the bag, which is usually not one you would have chosen yourself. We all make mistakes in life, but we learn from our mistakes. When we defer to others and they make mistakes, nobody learns, nobody's held accountable. From where you're talking today, you don't have bitterness. So you you had to go through a process of forgiveness, at least in your heart. You know, I traveled to Germany for the first time in August to be the speaker at the... Nuremberg Code 75th anniversary commemoration. And the German, a lot of German people have particular, um, they were extremely anxious to meet me. And I realized part of it was really looking kind of for a sense of yeah, forgiveness. Uh, what I have to say is no, I, I do not forgive the perpetrators. But these people who are mainly third generation, that's a different story. I take people 
individually. I don't believe in uh, treating people as a group. People are individual. This is one of the things that the elite now wants to destroy, totally wrench us apart and make us, you know, like just widgets. They do. Scott, kind of a similar question to you because you're you're speaking from a pretty painful loss. And what's your perspective on this? You don't carry, you don't sound like you carry a lot of bitterness in you. Well, thankfully, God worked that out of me when I was in the hospital. Um, again, I, you know, he had a different plan. So, I mean, once Grace was gone, he had a different plan to implement and you can't have an angry dad telling a story. So I never asked him for the attitude of forgiveness, but he worked it into my heart. And by the time I got out of the hospital, um, you know, and then you learn what they did, but he had already done the work. So I can't take any credit for it. That just is, it's, it's part of what the, what he does when you believe. And to you as well, Scott, I mean, it's, you, what are the thoughts that you have to share with people? What's your advice, words for them to live by, so to speak, after what you've been through? Well, I've learned a ton from Vera, and what Vera just said is spot on. You know, we've we've got a dumbed-down version of Romans 13 that people are blindly thinking they're supposed to just obey. Well, we're, we're not supposed to obey satanic uh, laws or mandates, and what what my message would be is for people to not fall trapped because this is what we always do. We want safety and security. So when we start falling trapped to safety and security, our guard goes down. And so just today I was reading in Dr. Peter McCullough's group that the same, the same vaccine manufacturers are now promoting a vaccine for cancer. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. But you know, people will fall trapped to that because they they don't have their senses. We've been dumbed down as a society so much that I just hope by doing these these podcasts that even if one or two people wake up and say, "Oh my gosh, this is really happening," start digging. You have to change your beliefs if your feet are going to change. So what Vera says is, of course, right on, we can't obey anymore. But how do you even get there? You have to first believe that the people who are in charge are evil. And then you start waking up to what's really going on. And I agree. I think one of the biggest problems that we have now is from the pulpit is this version of teaching peace at any cost. And it's a, a very sad statement in where we are because our faith has never been a faith of compliance. It's actually been a very powerful faith of defiance. And we literally are in a fallen world and are expected, as as I walk, we are expected to disciple and to, to secure, expand, and subdue. And our enemy is ruthless. And I think you both shared a very poignant testimony to just how ruthless this enemy is and how many forms it takes. Vera, any final words or thoughts? Well, we're saying it in, in as many ways as we can, that the only way to normal human life is that people have to take responsibility. Really, this is, I don't know. We took many, many 
years to get people to be so conditioned as to trust authority, even when they're wrong each time. I mean, these three years, we've seen every every directive toward it was against our health while they're telling us it's for our health. You know, the Nazis did the same thing when they took those children away from parents and essentially medically murdered them. They told the parents that the children would be getting special treatment. And the parents believed them. Now, of course, at that time, the parents didn't have much choice. I mean, this was like uh, the brutality of that aspect was very, very uh, enforced. And then the parents were given death certificates that indicated that their children died of natural causes. Again, this is <laughs> the natural causes then, the equivalent now was COVID. Everyone died of COVID, even if they died of a heart attack. But there were reasons behind that. Now, this time around, it's both to eliminate people and to reward those who are doing the eliminating. At that time, it was just to eliminate and to get society used to the fact that many of their relatives would be eliminated. It's very dark. It's very evil. And the, I think that probably the most difficult thing for most people is to accept the idea, the fact that there are real evil people who mean absolute harm to them. They cannot believe it. They still are under the delusion that these public health officials who are telling them what to do against their interests are really looking out for their interests. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but then they're not thinking rationally. They're in a state of conditioned fear. I'd fully agree. Scott, any last thoughts? Tying into what Vera just said, we tend to believe these officials. Well, on September 19th, President Biden said the pandemic is over. On September 20th, the week ended September 20th, there were 20 new, 29 new hospitalizations in the United States with people that checked in with COVID. And October 13th, the one-year anniversary of Grace's death, he re-upped the public health emergency for another 90 days. That means that these hospitals still have immunity from liability for killing people, and they are still getting the bonus payments, the same bonus payments that took Grace out. The United States is number one in the world with deaths, 1.1 million deaths of COVID. That, that doesn't make any sense. The reason we're number one is because we are following protocols with remdesivir, which has a 75% kill rate, and ventilators, which have a 90% kill rate. The second number two of countries in the world is India. Who, India has four times the population of the United States and less than half the deaths. So why? They're not following those protocols. They're using ivermectin instead. And people have to wake up. That's my... I can't say it strong enough, Scott. Well, this has been a, a really wonderful conversation we've had today. We always close with a prayer. If it's okay with you both, I'll lead a prayer. Thank you. Father, we just want to thank you for this amazing meeting and just, again, watching your hands that that you work in this world, of bringing two people to, from different walks of life 
that are now able to come together in a very painful time in a very in a difficult moment of loss and the realization that a loss was led by the hands of deception and evil and now be able to join together to tell stories and to find the commonality to hopefully bring truth and more of the truth to light for people to awake and to walk more purely in you. Father, we just pray right now for the many that will just simply open their hearts and open their eyes to what is going on as we pray almost every day for this continued awakening, not just of knowledge, but of faith, to put their eyes on you and truly reach to you in in the deepest of ways, to put a trust in you and be led by the wisdom that only you can provide. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you both. Yeah, boy, it's tough, you know. It's tough. It really is. Um, but Vera, Vera is I hope, you know, I motivation. hope. Go ahead, Vera. Yeah, we have motivation. But hopefully, you know, some people take it really seriously. I hope so. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's because it, by what people don't realize is it, their obedience is what empowers the evildoers. Without obedience, they can't. They can't force it. That's correct. Well, you two have a great story, and it's I'm, I'm really honored to have had you both on the show today. Thank you. And thank you for the honesty and the courage, because it's um, these aren't easy stories to tell. Thanks for the opportunity, Scott. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you both. God bless you both. Have a, have a very blessed day. All right. You too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. That was Scott Shara and Vera Sharaf in what I think is a very eye-opening interview to realize just how we're walking lockstep with the past. It's time to wake up. And if people aren't awake, it's almost time to shake them because this is a very dangerous time. We're seeing the same rise of authoritarianism and tyranny in our country. And it's time to really pay attention to the lessons of the past as we witness the pain of the present. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for another edition of Bards FM, another great interview. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man. 
and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 